Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Prepare yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, for the biggest week in politics since the last biggest week in politics back in January. Tomorrow, the nation will hold its breath collectively as yet another meaningful vote on the Brexit withdrawal agreement takes place. Or maybe not, actually. Already there are noises coming out of Westminster that Theresa May might actually postpone it again for fear of triggering all the horrors that will prevent Brexit from ever happening. It was a warning that came over the weekend. Jeremy Hunt said, uh, if you don't vote for this deal come Tuesday, then we may not get Brexit at all. I'm not quite sure of the logic of that. We're going to talk to Marcus Fish, Tory MP, coming up in a moment. One section of the Tory party is still hoping that they'll be able to force the Prime Minister out in exchange for helping her get what she wants, whatever that is, because I'm not even sure she knows yet. One thing is for certain, we are not leaving the European Union on March the 29th. There's simply not enough time to organise it. And it may well be we will be locked inside this particular paradigm for years and years and years to come. 03444991000. Coming up later on, we'll be finding out just why the police are unhappy with soft judges who are letting knife thugs off and walk free with suspended sentences. And what on earth Jeremy Hunt thinks he's doing by hatching a plan to rescue the children of these jihadi brides over in uh, refugee camps in Syria. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, there is a plan afoot, as I mentioned earlier on just before the news, that we will be back in the tent of shame on College Green down there in Westminster tomorrow uh, in order to witness what it is that's going on, the shenanigans before and after the vote, which will supposedly take place sometime probably uh, early tomorrow evening. However, there are already lots of noises coming out of Westminster this morning, and we'll confirm them with Ross Kempsell our political editor very shortly, that Theresa May is already making plans to cancel the so-called meaningful vote. If she does that again, I'm not quite sure where that leaves her, where that leaves us, where that leaves the Tory party, and where indeed it leaves parliamentary democracy. Certainly in a very, very bad place indeed. 0344 499 1000. Loads of you will want to get on and talk about this, and I want to hear from all of you, because you have the most common sense of almost all the people that we speak to. Right now, they we're going to speak to Marcus Fish, Tory MP for Yeovil, member of the International trade committee he wants us to leave without a deal he wants us to get on with it let's find out whether there's any chance of that happening marcus a very good morning to you 
Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us, Marcus. Um, It doesn't look good, does it, for this uh, meaningful vote? At the moment, we're hearing some pretty strong rumours that she's going to cancel it. So I do want to leave with a deal if one can be done, and I do think that we need to focus on, you know, actually putting text on the table. I was in Brussels last week and um, I was surprised, actually, that, that they hadn't yet put the details of the... Uh, alternative arrangements that we were working on with the government to replace the backstop, which, which was the hoo-ha about all of this sort of a month ago. Yeah. Um, they hadn't done that in detail yet, but I understand that you are interested in talking about it. So I'm focused on trying to, you know, get the government to um, to take that approach to the negotiations at this point. Um, and we need to keep preparing uh, for... Any eventuality, I've been working hard with HMRC and others to uh, make some tweaks to the simplification of the procedure that they've already proposed to really make sure that our borders can work efficiently, whatever happens. But we definitely want to have a good relationship with our EU friends in the future. So I'm 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 certainly one who wants to have a deal. Uh, but I yeah, but I mean, we've got that, a vote um, to. We've got a yeah, vote no, to get, get rid of, Marcus, uh, tomorrow night. Is there going to be a deal in place before tomorrow night? Uh, well, it's going to be interesting to see what motion the government lays. Um, I think if it's a sort of unchanged version of what was presented before, I wouldn't anticipate it getting uh, much more enthusiasm for it than last time. So um, we have proven that... Um, the replacement of the backstop with alternative arrangements could get a majority in Parliament. That was the Brady Amendment thing that went through a while back. Um, and so that, that I think, would be a better focus. But we just need to wait and see what the government actually proposes um, and make sure that they are talking about the right things by the time they get into the, the council on the 21st of March. But isn't that the problem that, you know, the government is basically getting nowhere at the moment, not least because there are so many different voices being heard in Brussels. The the Brussels bureaucrats are being told on the one hand uh, by the government, you know, you must help us out. You must you must bring us uh, a deal to the table that we can get through Parliament. Otherwise, we're going to walk away with no deal. You've got Tony Blair talking of Emmanuel Macron uh, and they're all kind of hatching a plot which says if we just carry on, you know, stalling, basically we'll never leave. You know, you've got all sorts of uh, members of the Labour Party going over to Brussels having conversations. There's an awful lot of voices that they're hearing and it's hardly surprising that they, they don't really know what we want. Well, I have some sympathy with that. I have to agree with you. I think it hasn't been the most help, helpful thing and I don't think what they need to hear now is that, you know, Parliament will intervene and try to take no deal off the table and this sort of thing. They they just want to hear a consistent voice. You're, you're absolutely right. Mm. Um, and I think, a constructive one. And so I guess that is what I've been trying to do in my modest way, is to, to try to focus on the practicalities of our borders so that um, our businesses and, and individuals can be confident that, that things will work. Um, but nobody but is, though, are they? That's make the trouble. Sure, well, we need to make sure as well that... Um, that uh, that we have a constructive relationship so we can eliminate absurdities like having to charge tariffs on each other. Um, so we have, through the Malthouse compromise, you might have heard, um, sort of set out a coherent strategy for how to um, approach such negotiations and try to achieve that.
I thought the no, Malthouse strategy no. had been sort of abandoned in the last sort of go round of amendments and, and counter amendments and general kind of um, noise around the, the main event. No, it hadn't. I mean, that that is what Parliament effectively voted for as the way to develop the alternative arrangements. The beauty of what we'd agreed, which was certainly lots of concessions on the Brexiteer side, but we managed to get a sort of cross across our party. We got agreement on a way forward. And um, the Malthouse Plan B, as it's called, is very much to... You know, keep keep offering a constructive relationship. Maybe pay some money for a two-year transition period, um, and eliminate tariffs on each other. In the meantime, mm. while while we negotiate the nuts and bolts of the fuller and deeper relationship, and that's that I think stands as a as, as a good way forward in this. It does stand as a good way forward, and I'm probably more on your side than you even realise, Marcus, but the trouble is there are very few other people who don't want to somehow throw a spanner in the works, and the problem we seem to be facing at the moment, as far as I can tell, is that you've got a parliament uh, which is full of people who don't want to leave the European Union, who are doing their absolute level best to stop it from happening and to continually kind of... uh, provoke and prevent and to continually throw obstacles in the way and if you get rid of one obstacle they'll find another one and it just it has to it looks to me and to many people out there in the in the in the high street that this is just an an endless ball game for a lot of politicians and it's never actually going to happen well i would agree with you i was um, speaking to people in yeovil on friday Mm. and the message from behind the door the doors was very much look we are expecting you to get this done at the end of march and um, they'll be very, very unhappy if it's not delivered. So mm. I think Parliament is slightly out of step with what people out there quite really re- realistically think their politicians should be doing. Um, and I think the shenanigans around trying to throw spanners in the works really doesn't doesn't help the negotiation. Well, it all. doesn't. But I mean, let's let's stop for a moment, Marcus, and just sort yeah. of look around at the at the carnage that we are currently seeing. And, and, you know, there is absolutely one no way that we're going to be leaving Europe on March the 29th. There simply isn't time to organise it. Uh, what are you hearing about the vote tomorrow? Are you hearing any noises that it might be cancelled? Um, I haven't heard any specific noises that it might be cancelled. I understand, as you anticipate, Prime Minister's advisers have gone into a huddle to try to figure out what it is exactly they do want to do. Mm. Um, but... Um, the reality is that um, the power does rest in the Prime Minister's hands. Um, there is no statutory obligation for a vote to be held tomorrow. If she, if she thinks um, that she could get a vote through next week, um, then she's within her rights to do so. And this whole idea that you know Parliament can wrest control from the executive and the Crown prerogative and go and do what it likes, that's not really true. It's a bit disingenuous for the people promoting that um, to be trying to do it that way Mm. rather than the traditional approach, which is that if Parliament doesn't like the government, then it can sack it. Well, indeed. But that is the problem. She's allowed all of this kind of uh, what I might regard as gerrymandering of the process to be done because she's allowed it. I mean, she didn't have to allow any of it, really. Well, this is true. I think she's, you know, she's bent over backwards to try to please everybody on all sides. And And some might say say that... uh, some might say that standing up and uh, standing up to, you know, the, to be honest, fairly small number of very hardcore Remainers who just want to reverse the uh, referendum at any price mm. within the Conservative Party, they've, they've sort of been allowed to run away with this thing to some degree. And um, 
and that hasn't been a sensible approach. And I think with a bit of leadership and I think a bit of setting out the direction and the plan and the positivity about where we want to go and um, stay constructive about it, then I think, you know, people follow that and uh, it's never too late to start. Well, I mean, I think it is, unfortunately. And finally, let me ask you this, Marcus. Would you be one of those who would back the plan that she does have, uh, albeit that you might not like it, if she promised to leave as leader, if she promised to resign as Prime Minister? No, I mean, for me, the key thing is the problems in the black and white text of the withdrawal agreement are just so huge that I don't think it's possible to get around them. When I was in Brussels last week, it was very clear they are planning i spoke to the irish delegation they said look we are never going to agree anything in terms of subsequent arrangements through the future negotiation that is not a customs union um and if anything they are going to try to strengthen all of the cross-cutting provisions um make us adopt social laws environmental laws they want access to our fishing there'll be a whole raft of other things they are going in a tightening direction not in a liberalising direction. Yeah, I think we have to realise at some point, though, Marcus, that she's just not up to the job. Marcus, thanks very much indeed. Marcus Fish, Tory MP for Yeovil, uh, member of the International Trade Committee, says he's not in favour uh, of getting rid of Theresa May. Uh, he thinks that the negotiations can go on uh, and get somewhere. I disagree with him. I think we have reached the point of no return. And I think we are either out of the European Union on March the 29th without a deal uh, or we're never leaving it. I mean, those seem to me to be the two choices. 0344 499 1000. We've got lots more to talk about. We've got loads of your calls to take. This is Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. We're going to take your calls coming up very, very shortly. 03444991000. Lots of you do want to get on because it is, once again, uh, an entire shambles, uh, you know, a ridiculous situation, state of affairs, uh, where nobody really knows the answer to what is even going to happen today, never mind tomorrow. Uh, Ross Kempsell has joined us just before we take some of those calls uh, to tell us precisely what the order of events actually is. Uh, if you know it, Ross, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, it looks like we are going to get a change to the plan, basically, this mm. week that the government was planning to bring forward now. Cast your mind back uh, to the last time that Theresa May made these set of promises in a statement in the House of Commons. She promised those three votes this week. She said we'd have the meaningful vote on Tuesday, an optional vote uh, to take away the option of no deal. Uh, on Wednesday and on Thursday some kind of a deal on Article 50 extension. Why did she do that? The basic honest reason to you politically is because it keyed uh, away a, a set of resignations that were really threatening her from Remain back in cabinet ministers and ministers in the government. It was looking like for two days that the government was really close to uh, potentially losing a, a, a large number of ministers over this if there wasn't an offer. It was also an attempt to head off attempts by people like Yvette Cooper who is speaking in London at the moment mm. uh, literally as we speak um, to uh, remove no deal and to potentially force an article 50 extension now the reality is is that all of this was promised on the condition that the prime minister would come back uh, and uh, give her best efforts to get a meaningful vote to the house of commons by the 12th that's what she said in that statement in order to do that she would need some changes to the deal uh, to win round the rebels who last time opposed her so heavily remember she lost by 230 Mm. votes more than 100 tory mps opposing her um, the reality is is that it looks like even though the Prime Minister's plane has been ticking over on the tarmac all weekend it won't be flying to Brussels today there won't be a last minute meeting she spoke to Jean-Claude Juncker last night they agreed 
agreed on that phone call to continue negotiations at the technical level. I think that is a sign that there is nothing political uh, coming forward in terms of a big change. So what does the Prime Minister do now? Because she is faced with either going into the meaningful vote tomorrow and losing in a three-figure With basically loss. nothing added to what the previous deal was, yeah, effectively. With, it, well, you know, depending on who you speak to, some government sources will tell you and swear uh, uh, until they're blue in the face that there have been very minute changes. There have been uh, signs uh, that uh, the European Union is softening. But on Friday, those signs were just clearly not enough. Remember that stream of tweets from Michel Barnier, yeah. uh, essentially basically offering what is, to be quite frank, Mike, a, a humiliating offer, really, for mm. the for the UK government returning to the Northern Ireland only backstop, which has been ruled out already uh, so many times uh, in all of these discussions. So, the reality is, you're right; nothing has changed. Theresa May is forced face now with either a massive loss tomorrow, or she finds a way through this mm. uh, in order to buy herself more time. And of course, in Theresa May's preferred suite of options, delay seems to be the key strategy and tactic. Yeah. And that is what we think she's going to go for. So, how does she do that? Very briefly, she needs to change the vote from tomorrow, from being a vote on the deal to being a vote on something else so i think what we will get is a conditional vote back my deal plus whatever changes jeffrey cox can get and here's an idea of what they might be although that isn't agreed by the mm. european union so in effect back my dream deal yeah. back my fantasy outcome uh, of the best possible outcome and see whether the house of commons falls behind that now there are big risks with that the first is what if the house of commons doesn't back it that effectively makes the meaningful vote a meaningful vote on Theresa May herself and her con- conduct of this process. It, you, you could view it as close to a confidence vote if you mm. wanted to. So there's a big risk that the Prime Minister doesn't get the backing of the ERG, although Jacob Rees-Mogg did say over the weekend and so have senior ERG figures said that they would prefer to pull that meaningful vote than to see the government lose it in effect uh, because they, they you know, it, they, they say that it doesn't make any um, great sense for the government to go forward and lose on, on those numbers. Um, the other risks are potentially a motion of no confidence from Labour because Labour will have to do something to respond to the PM. Which they'll never win. Which they'll never win. But at the same time, uh, in all likelihood, but at the same time, they could also put down another contempt of Parliament motion. You could say that Theresa May has broken her promises to Parliament again by potentially changing these votes, although there's nothing in law which says that she has to do this. So it's not as if she is really breaking something which she has legally agreed. Remember, we just have to have the meaningful vote before we leave, according to the statute. Likewise... We uh, will then move into the position where, again, Remain ministers may potentially be very aggravated by the fact that this option to remove no deal has now disappeared uh, if the Prime Minister changes her plan in this way. It's just a ridiculous situation, isn't it? Ross, thanks very much indeed. We're going to try and get some uh, views from some sensible people out there, i.e. the members of the public, because what we seem to be doing uh, now is just voting on meaningless things. Neil's in Macclesfield. Hello, Neil. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Not bad, sir. What do you want to say? It's all just guff, isn't it? It really is. My my take on it is that Brexit is about um, it's about ambition, vision, confidence, and really uh, seizing the opportunity that that actually exists. Mm. It's also um, about leaving, which we seem to be deliberately yeah, not doing. Exactly, and you know what? It got me thinking over the weekend what the world would look like if it was run by Remainers, huh. and uh, <laughs> and and I kind of realised that you know the pyramids. Stonehenge, um, you know, far too much like hard work. Uh, electricity, yeah. too complicated. Uh, manned uh, flight, uh, are you having a laugh? I think if we were still run by Remainers, we'd all be sort of scrabbling around in the rocks, yeah. eating worms, staring at the moon. Right. And uh, there'd be a bunch of Remainers sat there saying, 
how great the worms tasted and how lucky we were to be living that life. And hiding from everybody, um, right? Exactly. And one final thing is that uh, in 1492, when Christopher Columbus set sail from Cadiz right. to find the, the new world, there was a bunch of people screaming at him from the shoreline, telling him he was going to fall off the edge <laughs> of a cliff. So what does that remind I know. You? I know. You're absolutely right. I love it. What a fantastic analogy, Neil. Well played. Let's talk to Vernon in Worcester. Hello, Vernon. Morning, Mike. Morning. I'm very well indeed. What can I, what can I do for you? The betrayal on all sides is astonishing. I know. It's just sickening, really. Mm. The people have given a clear mandate to the elites at Westminster to leave the EU. Um, and then you've got the elites of Westminster... Colluding with the EU, people like Dominic Greaves and Jeremy Corbyn yeah. and this other, other Mickey Mouse new organisation full of MPs that have left and won't stand for re-election because they know they'll lose their seats. I mean, it's just it's preposterous. We're never going to leave, Mike. Well, I mean, I you did know, say I mean, that at the beginning of, of this whole exercise once the uh, referendum result was in on the morning of the, the day after it was uh, voted that we should leave. I did say, I don't think we ever will leave because there's not enough people in this country running this country who want that to happen. 90% of the House of Lords, House of Parliament, are remain. Yeah. That's the, that's the fundamental problem. I have huge sympathy for Theresa May. She's a weak leader, unfortunately. Yeah. And when you try to please everybody, you please nobody. Well, and also, she's been, she's got, she's pretty much got it all wrong, and you can have sympathy for her, and I appreciate that, and I think that's the civilized way to be. However, she has made wrong decision after wrong decision, and she, I don't think there's anything she's actually got right at all. No, I'd agree with that, Mike. But can you imagine the worst Tory government of all time is still miles ahead of lunatic Labour? Oh yeah, and it doesn't, and it doesn't help because if we got a strong opposition party we might actually get this through i just want to say to the elite at westminster we will remember we will remember that's not a threat but we will remember what you have done yes and the betrayal that you have inflicted on this great country yeah they should all hold their head in shame it's appalling, Mike. It is appalling, but yeah. I'm afraid we now have a political class who have no respect for the electorate, no respect for the voting practices that we involve ourselves in, no respect for our opinion. I got this from uh, a Labour MP yesterday, Lillian Greenwood, who's a Labour MP for Nottingham. Uh, I was asking about the £200,000 plus that she had uh, claimed in expenses, right? And she said... Um, this. Everyone can see exactly how much I earn as an MP and claim for in expenses, such as employing staff and renting my office. My constituents can decide whether it's good value for money. I don't give a stuff what you think. Nice. Now, that's from a person to... That's from an elected official of this country to a taxpayer, which is what I am. I pay her wages. She doesn't give a stuff what I think. It's frightening, Mike, isn't it? Could you imagine if she had to run her own business? I know. But she was a cat. I left this morning at 4am, you know, to be told by James Weld that I'm unintelligent. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just staggering. Well, I wouldn't worry about James Weld. He's, he's, he's over the hill. Yeah, well, it's fine. I've got my BMW now because you can't, you can't <laughs> buy them after Brexit. No, of course. Me. You won't be able to get it serviced yeah. either. Yeah, the man's a lunatic anyway, like so many of them. I'm very, very... I feel very, very disappointed. Mike. Yeah. I'm a proud Englishman, and I just think that we have been had. 
Yes, no, absolutely. But it's not over yet, uh, Vernon, as they say, and uh, there's plenty more time for it to be sorted out, even if it's not sorted out by March the 29th, which I don't think it will be. Thanks very much indeed. We'll take more of your calls coming up in the next hour. 0344-499-1000 is the number you're looking for. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham on talk radio. When the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. 0344 is the number. We can speak to Aldo Zilli shortly on the history and the wherewithal and whether or not, in fact, uh, it even exists. Spaghetti bolognese is a big subject uh, coming up. Uh, you can also text us, of course, text the word TALK and your message to 87222. Uh, that will cost you 25p plus your normal standard network rate. And you can tweet us at TALK Radio. I've uh, got some breaking news from Sky who say that they've seen a letter from the lawyer of Shamima Begum's family which asked Home Secretary Sajid for an act of mercy and to reconsider this, the decision to deprive the 19-year-old of her British citizenship. Let's go to the phones and talk to Howard, uh, who's in Belfast. Hi, Howard. Hello. Good morning to you, Mike. Great show. Thank Great you very show. much indeed. What do you um, want to tell us? A couple of things. Yeah. Very brief. I'll keep it brief. Um, I want to talk about Brexit. Yeah. And I also want to talk about uh, Shemima Begum. OK. And the point I want to make about her is it's not so much the problem being with her but I'm more concerned about us losing our humanity. And one of the things that defines us as an advanced nation is our capacity for, for mercy, forgiveness, for all the things that ISIS don't have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by us showing no capacity for care, even though she, what she's done is a, a miserable, let's say, evil thing, joining a, a sect of killers, you know... 
I don't know. I think forgiveness, it, it sort of defines us yeah. as well. And, Listen, I, I take that know. point, and I, I think it's a good point to make. However, I think you also have to balance that uh, forgiveness and, and that compassion with the general safety of, of the populace as well. I mean, this is a woman uh, who has made no secret of her dislike for our way of life and no secret of her uh, disgust at the way that we live. And I'm not sure inviting her to come back and live with us is the right way to, to uh, respond. Yeah, no, I, and, and I agree entirely, but I think if we can't handle a 19-year-old girl and deal... I'm not saying about mercy without justice. I'm mm. saying that she should face justice, but... Equally, if we haven't got the capacity to try somebody, and I presume she would be found guilty because there's a lot of evidence against her, to keep her incarcerated for a reasonable amount of time, what does that say about us? You know, and I do. Well, agree. it doesn't I'm, say I'm much, sure. I'm afraid. But on the other hand, we've got plenty of other 19-year-olds who we can't control at the moment. They're all outside uh, running about, stabbing each other. True. Listen, that's my point on that's my point on the lady over there. But here's the big one. This is the one I think I have the the key to unlock this Brexit. Excellent. Well we've been waiting for you for a long time, so it better be good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. The first point I'll make is the DUP, as we all know, have the government over a barrel. Basically they're meagre amount of votes seems to have the the government paralysed. Well, Mm. the one thing I want to say, I live in Northern Ireland and I've lived in Northern Ireland for some time. And the DUP do not by any means represent anywhere near the majority of people in Northern Ireland. In fact, this is the party of anti-abortion. They're almost... Well, I'm, I was going to say they're as medieval as ISIS, but that would be a bit of a stretch. That might be a bit of a stretch, but of course they are. Yeah, I mean, as yeah. as as, be- they, as are. they are, they are the minority in Northern Ireland. That's what Northern Ireland yeah. is about, isn't it? They are the absolute minority because there are lots and lots of other parties that are, uh, share a more sort of balanced approach. And here's the thing. Northern Ireland voted to stay. It was a narrow margin, but we voted to stay. Mm. And the problem we have is the Irish border. The big problem that DUP have is their concept of an imaginary border down the Irish Sea, which is flipping nonsense, to be honest with you. Because if you've ever taken a ferry across the Irish Sea, you'll be met by three armed policemen the other end. They want to see your uh, ID. If you want to bring cattle into Northern Ireland, every single one's got to be checked. So where they get off thinking there's no border. But anyway, here's the thing. Yeah, hurry up, because I've got to get on. uh, Yeah, 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 right. I'll be as quick as I can. If I reckon if the population of Northern Ireland were offered the a revote right. to stay in Europe, I think the the problem would go away. The people of Northern Ireland would be happy. We'd be very wealthy because we'd have one foot in the UK, one foot in Ireland. Business would come streaming into Northern Ireland. We'd all be rich, and the DUP would just disappear down between the cracks. Okay. Well, listen, it's not a bad idea. It's no no worse than any other ideas I've heard, Howard. But I don't know how you'd make it work. But listen, let's have another conversation about that, because I've got a very special guest that I need to talk to right now. And he is, of course, the legend that is Aldo Zilli, celebrity chef, man who knows more about spaghetti uh, than I've had hot dinners, I would imagine. Aldo, very good morning to you. Very good morning to you. Long time no speak. I know, long time. Now, very nice to hear from you. Very nice to know what you're up to, which we'll ask you about in a moment. Now, apparently yeah. the mayor of Bologna uh, has come out and said that spaghetti bolognese does not exist. Now, I always knew that it was an invention of, of either England or, or America, but what can you tell us? Well, I think the mayor of, Lon- uh, mayor of London, the mayor of Bologna, uh, well, the mayor of London wouldn't have done that, but the mayor of Bologna has done, and uh, he's, he's a bit concerned that he's... Um, staple dish is 
not spaghetti bolognese, and it's gone all over the, the world. And because it's got, it carries the name Bologna, the ragu from Bologna should be served with tagliatelle, not spaghetti. Uh-huh. Uh, if, and it's not a national dish. It's not a dish that exists in Bologna or indeed anywhere near uh, Bologna or anywhere near Italy. So where did the uh, name? So where did the name come from? Uh, well, it was adopted abroad, like uh, any other things, you know, that gets adopted and uh, gets tweaked for the palate of the, the countries that gets adopted to it. And uh, that's what happened. Right. And so in Italy, we don't eat spaghetti with the bolognese, with the heavy ragu. We eat the flat ribbons, uh, the fettuccino, tagliatelle, pappardelle, mm. uh, because the pasta needs, the sauce needs that kind of pasta. Right. Because the spaghetti will slip off, uh, the sauce slips off it. Okay. So, so basically, that's all. It's not. It's not a. You know. I mean, he's not reinventing the wheel. Is this has been going on for years and years and years? No, of course. It's like when you go to India and they, nobody's ever heard of chicken tikka masala. You know, if you go to China, they've never heard of chopped suey either. Well, I've been to those countries just lately. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's all something that happens here. And uh, why not? I mean, if the English want to eat spaghetti bolognese, who am I to complain or tell them that they can't? Because you know, at home with their, with their families, if they want to eat, if they want to put spaghetti with a with a ragu, then it's up to them. No, but quite. Fettuc- what, what, what about in your in your plain. in your many restaurants, Aldo? Have you ever have you ever served up spaghetti bolognese on the menu? Uh, no, we have um, in um, in the restaurant that I'm involved at the moment in Regent Street, San Carlo. We we have a fettuccine. Bolognese on the menu, homemade fettuccine egg pasta yeah. with Bolognese sauce. And the Bolognese sauce, the ragu that we make, they make in Bologna, it needs like four to five hours of cooking. Okay. That's, from, that's what puts people off at home as well. And is it normally just um, uh, beef? Is it minced beef? beef? How, 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 does it, how is it constituted? Beef and pork. Okay. You know, no, normally you saute the pancetta with the onions, the garlic, sorry, with the onions, the carrot and the celery okay. at the beginning. And then... You add the meat, you sweat the meat, and it's normally white wine rather than red wine. Uh-huh. And that diffuses completely. And then you add a little bit of milk, and then that goes again. And then you add your tomatoes, and you let it simmer for four hours. Okay. That's, that's how long it takes, yeah, because otherwise the meat doesn't cook, doesn't cook, and that's a big karma sauce. Okay. Because lately I've been taking – I, I used to put, say, a, a can of tomatoes in my spaghetti bolognese, but lately I've been using maybe a couple of fresh tomatoes a little bit of tomato puree and beef stock. Yes, beef and better. What do you think of that? I, I love your idea. Thank you. Thank you very much. I it's very good. It. I love my spaghetti. It's very good. Yeah. I, I, you know, everybody can cook what they fancy to eat. So, But when it comes to staple dishes, we have to remember that people get very precious. Yeah. You know, if you, come to, if you go to my region, because Italian food doesn't exist, it's all about regions. All right. It's all about the regional food. Like it's it's like uh, you know it's like Indian food. It's all very regional. Yeah. So if you go to my region in Abruzzo, further down from Bologna, the ragu is made with duck meat. Okay. It's it's not made with beef. Right. You know, if you go to Naples, it's probably made with lamb. Mm. You know, so it it's, it all varies in different regions. Right. Italy. That's, That's why this guy this guy has got the right arm with um, 
which is a Bolognese. Well, I mean, listen, he's probably happier than Sadiq Khan, though. He's probably, he sounds like a better guy as well. But but one of the fine, one of the finest meals I ever had uh, was in a little town in Tuscany. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but this, I went to this restaurant and they served up spaghetti just with olive oil and garlic, and it was fantastic. There was just nothing yeah. to it, you know? Aglio olio. Yeah. Aglio you know, olio, cacio e pepe, carbonara. These are the simplest dishes. Yeah. I would taste dishes, and uh, people, unfortunately, uh, try to add other things to it. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. You know, carbonara doesn't have cream and, and mushrooms and God knows what else right. we add to it in this country. Of uh, English people had to, or not just English people, all over Europe except Italy. You know, people in, in Germany, I work in Germany, it's even worse. Right. Yeah. Shocking state of affairs. So, San Carlo, is that your new place? That's the place I'm uh, based in at the moment. Okay. Number number two, Regent Street. Very nice. Is that uh, Piccadilly Circus end? Yeah, just off Piccadilly Circus. Oh, okay, I'll come, I'll come pay you a visit soon. It's uh, James. Very good. Good stuff. Thank you, Aldo. Take it easy. Aldo Zilli there telling us that he's, uh, the mayor of Bologna is right. There is no such thing as spaghetti bolognese in Italy. And in fact, there's no such thing as Italian food. But we have Italian restaurants that serve spaghetti bolognese in London. But of course, that's because they're not actually Italian. Let's talk to Richard, who's in Manchester. Hi, Richard. Uh, good morning, sir. Thanks for taking my call, Mike. Not at all. What would you like to say? I was the one who came on and told you about my brother having a parrot uh, that uh, when Lord Adonis came on... Oh, yes. He, he, he swore <laughs> and said, oh, you know, it's gone, it's gone even worse now. He's taught, the, he's taught the parrot how to really swear about it. <laughs> he, was, he was on this morning. Um, yeah, he was Julia. on Julia's show, yeah. Yeah, and he came out with the same stuff. Absolutely same stuff. The planes are not going to fly. Right. We won't have any food. Lettuce is going to be in short supply. I know. I can remember the last it's time unbelievable, isn't it? It's absolutely unbelievable. He went for a march, Mike, with one million people, he said, and I checked that out right, right. On, the, on the request from the police. There were only 250,000. He said a million people were there. He spoke to 3,000, and then the worst lie, he said he'd got one million followers from that 3,000, oh, yeah. and this was like, this is on, say, the Sunday, and by the Tuesday, he's got a million followers. Why? I know. Why? Please, can you tell me, Mike, why do people tell lies like that? I don't understand it. I've never actually witnessed what we are currently seeing in public life at the moment, ever before, in the history of my covering of politics, uh, of any news stories I've ever done. I've never seen so much disingenuous cobblers being spoken, I promise you. You would think, Mike, that they're coming on the radio talking to, I don't know how many people you're talking to at the moment, but if we could get to 17.4 million people and say, look, all these people who are shouting at you and telling you you can't do this, that and the other, who think you're stupid, mm. we've got to somehow it back. I don't know if you've got it in you or whether you're politically you know, not able to do it because of your contacts with the, with, with the radio. But she's come out now today, our great Mrs May. Yeah. She was in church yesterday uh, with Arthur Askey. And she comes out, and when she goes on these things on Monday morning, all of a sudden the whole world changes. Yeah. Did she not think that you and all the other people on radio and television and everything else were all waiting for some guidance? You would think that when I, I prayed for her to say, God, help her to say 17.4 million people voted in a democratic vote. Mm. You are a Democrat. Why don't you wake up and say, look, 
tell the EU we don't want any more, we're going out on a no deal or whatever the other thing are. And I'll tell you what, she'd win a lot of kudos with the Oh, I think she would. She And she should have done that from the beginning. But the fact that she didn't do it from the beginning, I'm afraid, has put her into this now difficult position where she has to try and keep placating people. And you can't go around through life placating people sometimes because in the end, they'll just keep taking the mickey out of you and they won't ever believe a word you say. And that's where she's now got to, I'm afraid, Richard. That's 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 like that, you're you're exactly right, Mike. I I, I quite enjoy listening to your program. Um, just a little note before I go. Yes. Lord Doris was on again last week to say oh, he's proudly responsible for the HS2 ra- railway. <laughs> he, was, he, he was the railway. He was the railway uh, czar that's right. when the food was brought out. I don't know whether you know that or not. I do. And, and somebody said to him, "Oh, well, so it's gone to fifty billion or whatever now." He said, "That doesn't matter." No. No. It will go to probably a hundred and twenty billion. You can check that out if you want. And you go, God, I employ two hundred and twenty people. If I made a mistake for ten thousand quid, you know what I mean? Somebody. Oh, I unbe- it's, it's incredible. Don't get me started on HS two. I had a whole weekend full of mad people uh, who work on HS two telling me what a great idea it is, even though it's not actually going to be ready until twenty thirty three. You won't actually be able to go on it uh, at the speed at which it's supposed to be built to go at, because that will put it over budget. It's a shocking state of affairs, Richard. Thank you very much indeed. The train Taliban, I'm starting to call them. Uh, there's still loads of them coming on my timeline. On on uh, Twitter and telling me that I don't know anything about trains. Just because you drive a train doesn't make you a genius, okay? The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. You're listening to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio in association with The Times, Politics Tamed. Uh, it's all going on uh, down in Westminster today, of course. We will discover uh, later on this afternoon, we think, uh, whether or not there is going to be a meaningful vote uh, in the Commons tomorrow. There's going to be some kind of vote. Whether it's meaningful or not, of course, remains to be seen. But Ross Kempsel uh, will keep his eyes on it. Uh, he's just tweeted out, and I've just retweeted, uh, that uh, Theresa May's had another conversation uh, with Michel Barnier. Uh, no idea yet what that conversation was about. About, but they're obviously trying to get somewhere. Uh, whether or not they actually manage to do so remains to be seen. And now let's go back to the phones and talk about knife crime because here's one uh, from David who says the root for all this current knife crime was sowed 40 plus years ago with the ideology that we should respect no one, including teachers, police officers and parents, unless it was earned. Uh, well, that's an interesting point. Let's talk to Mike in York. Hi, Mike. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? Very well, sir. What would you like to tell us? Um, why do people still continue to tip to around the uh, the solution, which is capital punishment? Well, because I don't think that is the solution. Um, well, you're going to kill people for carrying. With... Well, you're going to carry. You're going to kill someone for carrying a knife. No, killing a person. Right. Once you stab a person in the dead, I mean capital punishment. Um, and what I can't understand, everybody says, "Oh, this is organised crime." Well, if the intelligence services can infiltrate Russian intelligence and all the rest of it, mm. who are the organised crime that they can't find out who they are? Well, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure when they say organised crime, it's like the mafia, though. I think it's more like it's gangland-type stuff. And I think they do know who these gangs are, and I think they do know where they hang out. I mean, half of them are on YouTube doing drill videos, aren't they? Well, they won't catch him in a speed van outside uh, on Tadcaster Road, will they? Very unlikely. That's the first thing. <laughs> can I just ask another thing then? Go on. You're, you're probably old enough to know. At one time, uh, when they were doing wages, 
the oldest guy in the factory and the youngest girl, the secretary, mm. used to carry the money. Right. And the, the general rule was that they didn't get hurt. And criminals used to make sure that no other criminal were carrying anything uh, like a gun. Mm. Are you talking so, about in the days when there was kind of, you know, honour among thieves and all that kind of thing? I still think there's a bit of honour. Uh, really? You know, really? <laughs> well, as much as honour is in the houses of Parliament. Well, there's no uh, honour in plunging a knife into the, into the back of an innocent teenage girl. No, there isn't. But at the same time, would all these deaths have occurred, these innocent deaths have occurred, if they, they, were, uh, they knew that they were going to have capital punishment? I think that wouldn't stop them. I think um, the problem which we, we've been talking about for a long time, I think the most sensible answer I've heard is from our, from our guy the other, uh, the other um, moment ago who said bring in minimum five-year punishment in jail and, um, you know, make stop and search a much more likely sort of event to happen if you're walking around carrying a knife. Because we need to stop them carrying them. That's what we need to do. I don't think killing somebody after they've killed someone is going to stop anything because the person's still dead and all you've got is somebody else who's dead. Oh, OK, but when you get five years, is that five years or is that two and a half years? Well, let's, like make it, well let's make it five. Yeah, yeah, but is that the same Is that the same kind of judicial system we're in now where an MP gets three months and then after four weeks on an easy, cushy number is kicked out and still gets well, paid while they're doing the MP? Yeah, well, I mean, the MP's story is a very different one. You know how I feel about that. But the point is, is the judicial system in this country is such that you don't serve the full sentence. You never do. But they okay, could change that. They could change that. When, when um, what do you call it, knives, they, started, they, 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 re, they resorted to, ble- to bleach and acid. These, pe- these people that do these crimes, you know, kind of, if they had, um, most of them are thugs and most of them are cowards. Yeah. So if they know that they're going to be uh, go to the gallows, that is the answer. And we can tiptoe all around. We can have all these experts and zars. Well, it doesn't stop the crime that they have in America, though, Mike, does it? They have more crime in America than we have here, and they have more murders in America than we have here, and they have the death penalty, and we don't. So how does that work? Well, <laughs> I've never been to America, but let me ask you this one. Well, you don't have to go there. You just you have just... to know the stats. Yeah. You... <laughs> the, the, the main thing is, America's a different country to us anyway. In this country, the police took the guns off the law-abiding citizens, uh-huh. right? But we've still got guns on our streets, as everybody knows. Now, those guns will disappear from the, uh, the, the, the villains if, when they get caught with a gun that's been involved in a, in a, a shooting, then they go to prison. And if it's, if it's for murder, then they get hung and they'll stop, they'll, they'll stop straight away. It won't stop it. It really won't. But listen, Mike, we've got to run because I've got to speak to Mark Dolan now who doesn't want to talk about guns or death or the death penalty, I shouldn't think. Mark, a very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. I'm very well indeed. Now, when I saw the words hipster uh, in front of me, I thought there's only one man to talk to about hipsters, and that is Mark Dolan. Because there's a great story here in The Times this morning about a guy who got so annoyed that they were using his picture to illustrate some kind of advert for hipsters uh, that he wanted to sue them because he said he didn't give him permission. Turned out it wasn't him. Uh, it's extraordinary, and I'm just reminded of that classic scene in uh, Life of Brian, Monty Python's Life of Brian, when uh, Graham Chapman, who uh, thousands of people think is Jesus, is addressing all these people outside his bedroom window, and he's like, look, please go away, you know, you're all individuals, and they reply in unison, yes, we're all individuals. <laughs> and that is the hipsters, you know, I mean, the bottom line is, you, you go to, I mean, most most of our 
great cities, um, including and particularly East London and the Shoreditch area. Yes. And you walk past bar after bar, and they're all in their coughing craft lager, but yeah. they all look the same in an identical outfit. And, the and these identical beards yeah. as well. Oh, of course. That's it's the uniform of choice. The women have got beards. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's, it's relentless. And the reason why is because um, sort of what underpins the whole hipster thing is uh, that I'm different. I'm breaking out. I'm countercultural. I'm anti-materialism. But you can't all do that and then be an individual. It doesn't make any sense. What I like about this story is that the editor of MIT Technology Review, who's the guy that got the angry letter from this bloke, says, um, we probably got a furious email from a man who said he was the guy in the photo. He accused us of slandering him, presumably by implying he was a hipster and of using the picture without his permission. So, I mean, now apparently there's an anti-hipster movement whereby you're, uh, you're, you're somehow being libeled by being named as, as a hipster. Well, yeah, I think it has lost its luster because it's become such a cliche. Yeah. And I also think it doesn't ring true because, I mean, in the sort of 70s, early 80s, in the era of the hippie and Nigel from The Young Ones. Yeah. Um, now, love them or hate them, those guys were the real deal. They were authentic. They, they smelt. Uh, they, do you know what I mean? <laughs> they didn't have jobs. Right. Uh, they just sat around smoking pot and, uh, and, and uh, drawing the doll, right? And, yeah. and that's what hippies were. But what these guys actually are, they're not anti-materialistic. They're, they're not sort of countercultural. They've all got normal jobs Monday to Friday right. in normal big corporations. And then it's at the weekend, they get the turned up jeans on and the check shirt. And, and, and they start staggering around they... Borough Market. I've seen them in Borough Market. Although, to be well, fair, yeah. to be fair, I haven't seen as many of them recently. I think there's a sort of a dearth of hipsters in Borough Market at the moment. I hope so. I hope so, because um, I, I don't mind uh, if, if something is real and truthful, you know. And the problem you've got, I think it, it's hiding with virtue signalling. So people do it online where they take political views yeah. uh, and all sorts of other positions because it looks good. It's mm. like a fashion label. Yeah. And I think that if you see someone with the beard and the whole hipster look, um, then that already tells you a load of stuff about their worldview. Do you yes. know what I mean? They're probably left-leaning. They're probably vegans. They well, they're probably not any of those things. They just want to, they just want you to think they are. I mean, it's like people that come up and tell you they're very eccentric, you know, or who wear, you know, I always say to people, don't ever wear a tie that's more eccentric <laughs> than you are. I used to work for a guy who liked to dress up in a sort of suit that made him look like Rupert Bear. And oh, he used yeah. to wander around thinking he was very eccentric because he rode a motorcycle. That's right, like the people who declare themselves as mavericks. Yes, uh, you know, I'm a maverick. Not in, not in your gift. <laughs> it, it's not, and it, it, it's actually, it, it drives me completely mad. And I think actually it's also doing the beard down because the beard for me was a symbol of power, male power, you know. And I, when I was a kid, you didn't mess with a man with a beard. I, I'm old enough to remember a series called Grange Hill set at school oh, yeah. in the 80s. And the, the, the they didn't have beards. Well, well, yeah, Mr. Baxter had a beard, the most terrifying character in that, in that series. And, and, you know, the beard was a male. And now you encounter a guy with a beard, he's not going to beat you up. He's going to mend your bicycle. And it's just not right. <laughs> it really isn't. You're absolutely right. Mark, thank you very much. As ever, uh, Mark Dolan there, not a hipster, thankfully. Uh, but the guy who thought he was being portrayed as a hipster, it turns out it wasn't actually him. They do all look alike, don't they? Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 